Hello and welcome back to episode 18, Can You Believe It, of Podcast Royal. Before we get started, follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. Thank you to those of you that have sent in emails already. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It really does matter and it helps others find us on podcast platforms. So how are you, Jessica? I am great. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm good. We were just talking about this before we started recording. I got vaccine number one this morning. So congratulations. Um, thank you. So I honestly, uh, everyone should get the vaccine, but I am kind of feeling as though I've been hit by a bus. So <laughs> we'll see how recording tonight goes, but um, I'm hopeful. So uh, that is my big news of the day. And I'm just so very happy and thrilled to be halfway through with my vaccinations. So we are going to try to move back into a little bit of normalcy today with the standard Royal Rundown and a lifestyle segment from Jessica. So without further ado, the Royal Rundown. So it is official, sad news, Trooping the Color, the Queen's annual birthday celebration that is typically held in June has been canceled for the second year in a row. Now you might ask, why does the queen whose actual birthday is April 21st celebrate her birthday publicly in June? The answer to that is the weather is most favorable in London in June and Trooping the Color is held outdoors. So there will be no typical festive parade or a Buckingham Palace balcony moment with the entire family. But like last year, it will be likely a scaled down celebration at Windsor Castle. It does make sense as hard as the news is to swallow because Trooping the Color typically brings thousands of people onto the streets of London. And while progress is being made in the fight against COVID, having a gathering that large would still not be advisable. Also, the annual garter service that typically happens at St. George's Chapel the Monday after Trooping the Color is also canceled. Jessica, this leaves me wondering about the status of Philip's 100th birthday celebration in June and the unveiling of Diana's statue to mark what would have been her 60th birthday on July 1st. Will they take place? I don't know. What do you think, Jessica, and do you think they made the right call in canceling Trooping the Color? Well, it was certainly disappointing to hear, but I don't think it came as a surprise to anyone after the year we've had. I would have loved to have seen Trooping the Color go on, um, you know, in its traditional fashion. And, you know, it is an outdoor event and a lot of people have already gotten their vaccine, but I sort of imagine they're waiting until it's available to everyone just to be safe. Um, you know, I just saw this week, I think Paris has gone back into lockdown again for a third time. And I think the UK really wants to avoid that at all costs. So, I mean, it was probably the right call for this year. I am. I'm sorry. I just was going to say it doesn't mean that it's any easier to stomach, especially. And again, I'm not writing the queen off, but she will be 95 in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we certainly hope that she has many more birthdays, but you never know at this age. And so I, I hope that in 2022, we can have it back in all its glory. Yeah, and I won't be surprised if Prince Philip's birthday celebration is altered as well in some way. Um, it would certainly be a bummer given it's his 100th, um, yeah. but, you know, it's kind of to be expected at this point. Especially with Philip having been in ill health as of late, I don't know how they could possibly have a large gathering, but we'll see what they do. No word. No word as of yet on either Philip's birthday celebration being canceled or the Diana statue unveiling being canceled. So we will keep you listeners up to date on that as we hear of it, which we hope we don't. We hope that they go on, but safely, of course. So well, Diana's um, celebration is in July. Um, so, you know, that's still several months away. We, you know, we don't know what could happen between now and then. I do think Prince Harry um, would really like to be there to honor his mother, but 
you know, I think that will depend probably on the timing of the new baby and, um, yeah. and, you know, if anything else happens between now and then, um, that, that might cause the UK to have to alter those plans as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. And something to note too, is that with trooping the color, we have a precedent for what that looks like, but we don't know what they have in mind for Philip's 100th birthday or the Diana statue unveiling. Maybe those events are going to be smaller anyway. Um, trooping the color is not small. And so it makes sense that it was canceled, but maybe Philip's celebration, if there, if there are public plans for that, I don't know about them. Do you know about any public plans? No. So I, it, I assume that it's going to be obviously much, much more scaled down than trooping the color, which brings out thousands of people into the streets. So, so trooping the color may be canceled, but Charles and Camilla, this kind of surprised me this week, have announced their next royal tour, which won't be a long one, but it takes them to Greece this week, Athens specifically to celebrate the bicentennial of Greece's independence. I have to tell you, it's nice to see the family back at work internationally, safely, of course. And it is important to note that both Charles and Camilla are vaccinated. So very exciting news out of Buckingham Palace. It seems that the queen is considering making a diversity and inclusion hire at the palace. And that according to a royal source speaking to people, there is a recognition that more needs to be done, quote unquote. From that same article, quote, diversity is an issue which has been taken very seriously across the royal households, the royal source says. We have the policies, the procedures, and programs in place, but we haven't seen the progress we would like in terms of representation and more needs to be done. We can always improve. The work to do this has been underway for some time now and comes with the full support of the family. So Jessica, what are your thoughts on this potential new hire? Well, I guess we can assume this coming out now is sort of in response to what's been circulating in the news recently about the palace. Um, I think this announcement is their way of showing that they are making changes to the corporate side. I know they said they have the policies and procedures in place, um, but they want to make sure that more is being done. And I think this is a great example of how you respond and communicate with the public in a professional way. You show what you're doing through your actions and taking steps forward and, and let that speak for itself. Absolutely. I'm so thrilled to see forward momentum because we said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that reform needs to happen. And it's so exciting to see that happening bit by bit. So I am here for it. So speaking of new hires, Archwell Productions and Archwell Audio has a new head of content. The Sussexes have hired producer Ben Browning to oversee content for both their Netflix and Spotify deals. He has worked on movies like The Big Sick, Arrival, Room, and Promising Young Woman, which is currently nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. And Harry, breaking news today, Tuesday, has a new gig too. He will be working with a mental health and coaching app that apparently he's been using himself for months. Harry will be chief impact officer of Better Up Incorporated, where in his own words, quote, I intend to help create impact in people's lives. Proactive coaching provides endless possibilities for personal development, increased awareness and an all around better life. I was going to ask you, um, do you think this will give him a taste of what it's like to work in the corporate world? It seems like um, kind of a change from, from what he's been doing. Yeah, I don't know if Prince Harry has ever worked in this capacity. Of course, he was career military for a long time, and then he became a full-time working royal, and he's been his own boss with Archwell Productions and Archwell Audio, and and everything involved under that umbrella. But I believe, I mean, the military is its own. He, he certainly wasn't, you know, in charge, the commander in chief of, of those operations. But this is the first time that I, I believe that he's worked in the corporate world. And 
uh, for a for a startup, no less. So this is going to be a big a big shift for him. I wonder, you know, how that's going to work. You know, there's only so many hours in a day, and he's got his R2L commitments, which, you know, with the hiring of Ben Browning, will probably lessen a little bit. But still, that's a huge undertaking, and this role. So he's. He's making moves. And I think, you know, this is, I mean, this is for sure his first step into the corporate world like this. So it will be interesting to see what a chief impact officer does, because to be honest with you, that's the first time I've ever heard that title used. So I don't know what that role entails, but I I'm, I'm ready to see what he does. Well, it's a, it's a board position, right? I would think so. Yeah, I, I have to imagine it's not going to um, take up quite as much time as, uh, you know, like a full-time role if he's already working with Spotify and Netflix. Like you said, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, um, but um, it does sound like an organization that he would be really passionate about, um, and, and I could see him definitely being committed to, to working with them in some capacity, so um, it seems like a good fit for him. Absolutely, and we're going to talk in just a second about Harry and his commitment to mental health, but we're going to jump to the Cambridges for a moment. So William and Kate were seen on video last week celebrating St. Patrick's Day with William even dropping a little bit of the Irish language in the clip. Very impressive. The pair also stepped out in person this week, Kate looking lovely in a camel colored coat, say that three times fast, as they went to an ambulance station in East London to speak to crews and paramedics about the challenges they face, especially during COVID. Also late breaking, we saw William and Kate out today in an event at Westminster Abbey, which of course is where they got married nearly 10 years ago. Kate looking stunning as ever. And this week we saw the Queen and Camilla team up for a video call with COVID-19 volunteers. So everybody's working, everybody's out there making moves. And as we speak, Charles and Camilla are preparing to go to Greece. So does it kind of feel like normalcy might be creeping back in? Maybe, I don't know, hopefully. Um, What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so. I think they are trying to get back into some sort of normal working fashion in um, a very careful way. And, And I think we're headed in that direction. So Harry, speaking of his commitment to mental health, uh, well, this, okay, this has nothing to do with his commitment to mental health. He, he was spotted out in Montecito riding an electric bike. <laughs> that, that could be uh, <laughs> healthy as well. Sure, why not? But this is what this is what I meant when I said, speaking of his commitment to mental health, news came out this week that he penned a very moving and touching forward to a book about children coping with the loss of a parent, a subject he unfortunately is all too familiar with. In the book, which is called Hospital by the Hill, Harry writes about how he struggled to accept the death of his mother, Diana, who died when he was 12, and how he hopes the book will provide, quote, comfort in knowing you are not alone, unquote. He writes, quote, when I was a young boy, I lost my mom. At the time, I didn't want to believe it or accept it, and it left a huge hole inside of me. I know how you feel. This could make me cry. Maybe I'm just extra emotional today. And I want to assure you that over time, that hole will be filled with so much love and support. We all cope with loss in a different way. But when a parent goes to heaven, I was told their spirit, their love and the memories of them do not. They are always with you and you can hold on to them forever. I find this to be true. He adds, now I never met them, but I know this person was special to you. And they were someone incredibly kind, caring, and loving because of where they chose to work. Helping others is one of the most important jobs anyone can ever do. You may feel alone. You may feel sad. You may feel angry. You may feel bad. This feeling will pass. And I will make a promise to you. You will feel better and stronger once you are ready to talk about how it makes you feel. So Jessica, what are your thoughts on Harry's very powerful words? You know, we just keep seeing over and over again lately how vulnerable he has been about his mental health and his very personal struggles that have impacted him throughout his life. And 
his words give us a glimpse into what his journey's been like as he's coped with the loss of his mother. And, um, you know, I think those words sound very sincere and comforting for a young person who really needs someone to understand what they're going through. Um, I think, I think this was mutually beneficial for him and his audience. You know, while I certainly hope readers get comfort from his words, I can imagine it's healing for him to write them as well. Um, it, it was a really, um, you know, a really sweet piece to, to read from him. And it's a great segue into the work that he's going to be doing with this startup, because obviously he has deep experience in this arena. And I truly think that just as these words will make impact with these children, the work he does will make impact as well. So good for you, Harry. Thank you for, for your vulnerability. So speaking of the Sussexes, Harry and Megan released a statement this week after the revelation by private investigator Daniel Hanks, this is very disturbing, that he illegally obtained personal info about the Duchess of Sussex. They said, quote, the Duke and Duchess feel that today is an important moment of reflection for the media industry and society at large, as this investigative report shows that the predatory practices of days past are still ongoing reaping irreversible damage for families and relationships, a spokesperson for the couple said, quote, they are grateful to those working in media who stand up, who stand for upholding the values of journalism, which are needed now more than ever before, end quote. So according to people, Hanks told the BBC that in 2016, so this would have been at the start of Harry and Meghan's relationship, he was hired by the son to look into Meghan's life. He then obtained very sensitive information about her, including her social security number, which he found illegally. Hanks decided to come forward to, quote, clear his conscience, the BBC said. So, Jessica, what do you make of all this? So let me make sure I understand. He um, basically volunteered himself to come forward and admit this information? Yes, he told the BBC voluntarily. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting, um, you know, good for him if, if that was on his conscience and, and he wanted to do the right thing. Um, I applaud him for doing that. I'm sort of exhausted by all of this, you know, media stuff lately. It's, it's just, I don't know, I'm just tired of hearing about it. I feel like, you know, I mean, we certainly know that, um, that, you know, Meghan Markle has been attacked by the media and, you know, she's been very vocal about that. Um, but I just kind of, I would like to get a break from all of this. I mean, I, I think, you know, the public's not dumb. Well, you know, we know how bad the media can be. And then I think we have to also think about the differences between, um, you know, uh, a, a reputable journalist and, and a tabloid. I mean, we, I would say the public, we don't believe 99% of what we read in the tabloids. Um, so, you know, when it comes to journalism being responsible and honest, I think we can all agree that that's, that that's really important. Um, yeah. And I think it was, it was good of him to come out and admit that, but I still, I'm just so exhausted from hearing all of this back and forth about um, the tabloids and, and the media and everything. I just want to break from all of it. I don't know about you, but. <laughs> oh yeah. So that is why we are going to talk about two very lighthearted subjects to close. <laughs> The rundown out. So on a much more lighthearted note, according to Glamour, the quote unquote modern Diana Bob will be the will be the trendiest haircut of the season. I will not be adopting this hairstyle. Spoiler <laughs> alert. According to the piece, Andreas, I hope I'm saying that correctly, Andreas maybe wild at Larry King, which is a salon, I assume, and not the late broadcasters television mm -hmm. show <laughs> agrees that the modern diana bob will be major for spring because it's so fresh quote this is a really extreme look i'm sorry there is no chance that i will be cutting my hair into the even if it is the modern diana bob um this is a really extreme look and is a great start for spring and coming out of lockdown it's so feminine in a masculine way says wild 
the hair expert emphasizes that layers are so important because they open up your face and blow drying the layers back and then forwards gives bounce and provides a modern look. Now, if listeners, if you know what I look like, I've had the same hairstyle since I was maybe eight years old, maybe younger, long, stick straight, brown hair parted slightly off center. I will not be adopting this look. Will you be adopting the modern Diana Bob, Jessica? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, this sounds really high maintenance. Um, And I just feel like (laughs) with the year we've had, does anyone want high maintenance hair right now? (laughs) No, and honestly, you would look, so you have great hair and you would actually be able to pull this off. Um, like if you could, if you could commit to maintaining it, you could totally pull this off. I'm just saying. Well, I, I actually, I had um, really long hair in my childhood growing up and, um, and, and some into college. And then as I got older, it's gotten shorter and it's about shoulder length now. But um, I have actually seen some variations of this modern bob on social media i've seen what i've seen has been um the hair is a little bit longer than a bob but they definitely do the short layering bangs um and some people pull it off better than others i'm not a big fan um i think princess diana looked great in the 90s with it but um definitely. i don't even pull off hats very well to be honest so I will not be adopting this look. <laughs> and I can't imagine it will be trendy for very long. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and of course, you know, they're playing on the fact that the crown and everything. And, you know, I, I wish that I had the face shape to pull it off. I don't. So no modern Diana Bob for me. But I, if this is truly trending, I can't wait to see everybody rocking it. And, uh, but will we be adopting her 1980s and, and well, 90s looks were great, but her 1980s fashion, that's what I really want to know. <laughs> we shall see. I doubt it. So, okay. Lastly, this week, ending on a very high note, the Queen's new, two new Cordies have names, sweet puppies. One is named Fergus after her late uncle, Fergus Bowes Lyon, who died during World War I in 1915. And the other is named Muick, named after Locke Muick on the Balmoral Estate in Scotland, which we did an episode about a few weeks back, where the queen and her family often travel to for picnics. So the puppies have names. I love puppies. Puppies make everything better. especially love Fergus. That's really cute. For Fergus. Fergus. Can you just hear her calling Fergus? I can't do an accent. <laughs> I won't even try. Okay. So I'm going to do a really quick segment too, before handing it over to Jessica since, and it's going to be about the Commonwealth. So since we've been talking so much about the Commonwealth lately, I wanted to quickly delve into the Commonwealth and sovereign states for a brief moment. Many of you may be confused about the difference between sovereign states and the Commonwealth, and quite frankly, it is pretty confusing. Put it this way, the queen is queen of 16 states, which are known as the sovereign states. They are the United Kingdom, obviously, Antigua and Barbuda, Australia, the Bahamas, Barbados, Belize, Canada, Grenada, Jamaica, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Solomon Islands, and Tuvalu. So if you'll notice, a lot of those countries are countries that are frequented by the members of the family because they are the sovereign states. Like we constantly see um, Australia, New Zealand, like the Solomon Islands, like all... I'm thinking like Harry and Meghan have been to like half of these places in their brief moment as working royals. So, okay, these are the Commonwealth realms where the queen is the sovereign and head of state. All 16 of these countries are also members of the Commonwealth of Nations, which has 54 member states, mostly all of which at one point were a part of the British empire, but many of whom are no longer. The queen is also the head of the Commonwealth but not the monarch in all 54, just the 16 listed above. Does that make sense, Jessica? Like, does that, does that compute? Yes, definitely. I think, um, I think you explained that very clearly. 
Okay, well, if thank you. If it is called a sovereign state, then the queen is the sovereign there. So I think I mentioned this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. For example, when I went to the Bahamas on vacation a few years ago, the queen's picture was plastered everywhere because she is their queen too. But in say South Africa, which is a commonwealth country, but not a sovereign state, that would not be the case because South Africa is not a sovereign state. If that does not make sense, drop us a line and we will explain further. But as for the commonwealth broken down by continent, there are 19 commonwealth countries in Africa. So that's Africa has the most commonwealth countries out of 54. 13 in the Caribbean and the Americas, 11 in the Pacific, eight in Asia and three in Europe. So I hope that provides a little more context to what we've been speaking about over the past couple of weeks. So anything, Jessica, that you wanna say about the Royal Rundown or about the Commonwealth? I think you covered it, great job. Thanks, I just, we've been talking about the Commonwealth so much and I wanna make sure that our listeners kind of know what we mean when we talk about the Commonwealth. So there's your primer. Any questions you have, please email us, DM us, we're here for you. So with that, my friend, it's all you. Well, get ready because it is officially spring break in the U.S. And I thought we could all use a little travel inspo and maybe a virtual podcast escape. So today I am sharing some dream travel destinations inspired by Royals. Um, If you aren't familiar with spring break in the U.S., so every year from about mid-March to mid-April, schools across the country take a week off and families often go on vacation. Sometimes you'll see people go abroad on a big trip, um, but often people will go somewhere within the US to a campground or a theme park or a beach or some other type of site. And sometimes families will just use the week to stay home and recharge. So they may go to a local pool or kids may visit grandparents while parents work. Um, And it's just a a springtime break that we do every year here in the U.S. if you aren't familiar with that. Um, So I will note in the U.S. the Grand Canyon and Disney World are both super popular spring spring break sites Um, and of course Florida beaches are always really popular. But as you know last year I don't think spring break really happened at all. Everyone was at home. Uh, So this year people are starting to get out a little more and travel. Um, It is still pretty limited. A few people, I think, um, are venturing outside of the U.S., but for the most part, I think people are, are hanging around to, to local places inside the country. Um, but I'm guessing after a year of staying put, our listeners are probably dreaming up their next big trip whenever they're able to take another vacation. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to share some really cool destinations that listeners can add to their um, list of places that they want to visit. I love this. So I I will start by saying this list is inspired by royals, so I may not necessarily share the exact city or resort where a royal has visited because most of those are extremely pricey and the whole point of this segment is to make these destinations realistic for listeners. So, you know, you don't have to stay at a luxury resort um, to visit a country and have a great time. But if I share anything and and our listeners do want more information about a specific resort or or place where royals have stayed, just reach out to us, send us a DM and um, we can dig into this a little bit more. Um, Also, forgive me if I mispronounce anything. Um, There were quite a few words I had to learn. Oh, that bar has long been uh, (laughs) lowered (laughs) thanks to yours truly. So, So, Rachel, as I go through these, I want to hear your thoughts on them, of course. Um, We'll we'll get started. So first up is Switzerland. what a great unconventional spring break location. You know, most people in the US, like I said, love to flock to the beaches for spring break, but what about a ski trip in the Alps? Um, Kloster, Switzerland is the preferred spot for both Prince Charles and the Cambridges. It is where William and Harry learned to ski, where William and Kate first kissed in public. Um, And there are actually two chairlifts named after Prince Charles in Kloster, Switzerland. A few other royals who have vacationed in Switzerland include the York family. So Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie visited as kids. And it's actually where Eugenie met Jack Brooksbank for the first time. I do remember that. So if you decide to visit Switzerland, I'm going to share a few sites 
uh, that are considered worthwhile to check out. First up is the Matterhorn. This is a well-recognized site in Switzerland. It's one of the highest mountains in the Alps. Um, I saw a photo of it online and it almost, Rachel, reminded me a little bit of the mountain that the Grinch lives on and how the Grinch <laughs> lives. <laughs> That's funny. Um, at the bottom of the peak, you'll find really amazing restaurants and hotels. Another site to check out in Switzerland is the Rinalta or the Swiss Grand Canyon. It is said to boast some of the most spectacular views in all of Switzerland. Um, and I saw a photo online and it was quite beautiful. It was um, from atop a big hill. You could see the river winding through the valley um, and just a really gorgeous place. Uh, you may also check out the Rhine Falls if you want to see some of the largest waterfalls in all of Europe. And lastly, uh, be sure to visit the city of Moritz. Um, it is a stunning resort town complete with fancy restaurants and hotels. The town has actually hosted the Winter Olympics twice. Um, and there are a lot of different cultures here. So if you visit, you may hear several languages spoken, including German, Italian, French, and English. And then real quick for our royal lovers, if any of you guys like to check out castles when you travel, there are two in Switzerland worth checking out. One is Oberhofen Castle. Um, it is nestled right on the waters at the edge of Lake Thun. It was built in the 13th century and has a museum inside. So be sure to check that out. It's really beautiful. It looks like a classic um, Swiss castle. Um, and then Chateau de Quilon in Montreux is also nestled right along the water. Um, it's at the edge of Lake Geneva, which um, I believe this castle was built in the 12th century. And it has been said to have inspired many artists and writers. Um, it looks a little different than Oberhofen Castle. It was more like a, like a white stone castle, um, also very pretty. Mm. And apparently Switzerland is one of the most expensive countries in the world to visit. So if it's on your list, start saving now. Um, Rachel, have you ever wanted to go to Switzerland or is that something that appeals to you? Sure, I mean, somebody's gonna give me a ticket to Switzerland, I'm not gonna turn it down, but I have never skied. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't ski. Um, I would probably be extremely clumsy skiing. <laughs> But um, I mean, it just looks beautiful. I, I tend to favor warmer climates, but I mean, my gosh, like the pictures that I've seen of the Royals in Switzerland, it looks heavenly. Yeah, I will say there are lots of places on this list that when I was doing the research, once I saw photos, I wanted to go there even more than I would have otherwise. So um, Switzerland has definitely been moved up on my list of places to check Absolutely. out. Absolutely. But your next one is like top 10 for me. Okay. <laughs> so next is the Seychelles. Um, this is actually where the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge honeymooned. And they're actually made up of 115 islands, but there are a few main ones. So the Duke and Duchess um, of Cambridge stayed on the private North Island it is definitely a luxurious destination. You can stay in one of the private villas um, and it is the perfect getaway uh, with both an exotic um, and private location and, and feel. So if listeners aren't familiar with the geographical location, the Seychelles are located east of the African coast in the Indian Ocean. Um, and it's actually reported that George and Amal Clooney, as well as Selma Hayek, honeymooned there. So definitely a popular place for celebrities to visit. Um, I'm sure that means it comes with a, a nice price tag, too. I'm positive that that is the case. <laughs> if you happen to visit one day, you'll find exactly what you would imagine there. I mean, beautiful white beaches, bright blue ocean water, an abundance of tropical foliage. And, you know, I'm not even going to share things to do here because what better to do than soak up the sun on one of these beaches? Um, I did read that if you visit um, and you want to eat the freshest food possible, seek out fruit and fish um, because when you're on an island, it's a little bit harder to come by beef and chicken and veggies. So um, fruit and fish will be the ultimate freshest food you can find. I had never heard of the Seychelles until William and Kate went there on their honeymoon. And then of course, you know, being 
William and Kate obsessed as I am, I at the time looked up everything I could find about it and it just looks heavenly. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I would love to check that place out one day. Yeah. So next on the list is of course, Spain. Um, in 1990, King Juan Carlos of Spain toured the Balearic Islands of Spain with Prince Charles and Diana, William and Harry, and several other royals, including Queen Sophia of Spain, um, Princesses Christina and Elena of Spain, Queen Anne-Marie of Greece, King Constantine II of Greece, and Princess Theodora of Greece. So it was quite a royal affair. Um, and Prince Charles actually has spent a lot of time in Spain. He is really close with King Juan Carlos and Queen Sophia. And in 1987, he, Princess Diana and the boys stayed at Maryvent Palace in Mallorca. So if you're not familiar with the Balearic Islands, they include um, Mallorca and Ibiza. Um, and Mallorca is called the crown jewel of the Balearic Islands. So you definitely won't get bored here. I mean, it is like fancy luxury, you know, a, a great place to go if you want to vacation in style. Um, you can take in beautiful scenery, scenery along the coastline. Um, they have stunning beaches. They have limestone mountains um, and they've got local wineries. So if you're into wine, you can do that um, and enjoy fabulous food. And I am just sitting here thinking about eating tapas and sipping wine in Mallorca. I'm just sitting here thinking about how I would like love to go anywhere. <laughs> like, I mean, I'll take Mallorca, but my gosh, like I'm ready to travel again. Well, Rachel, you and our listeners write these places down. And when the podcast is over, Google some of these places and check out the photos because you will be amazed. Absolutely. So while you're in Spain, um, take some time to visit Gibraltar. Are you familiar with Gibraltar, Rachel? Is this the rock of Gibraltar? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's all I really know. <laughs> so Prince Charles and Princess Diana visited Gibraltar when they cruised the Royal Yacht Britannia on their honeymoon. Um, Queen Elizabeth actually visited in 1954, and I think that's the only time that she has been there. But Gibraltar is a British colony, and it is located along the southern coast of Spain. Um, and you mentioned the Rock of Gibraltar. It's often called the Rock after the Rock of Gibraltar. Um, and it is a limestone rock, almost 1,400 feet high. Um, wow. So there's a lot of British influence in this area since it's a British colony. Um, I think they actually use the pound and the euro there as currency. Um, so if you visit, be sure to check out um, St. Michael's Cave. It is the largest cave on the island. Um, you'll find beautiful stalactites and stalagmites. And this cave was first recorded in 45 AD. And there's actually another cave on the island called Cathedral Cave, which is really cool. So you can actually attend an underground concert in this cave. Wow. They do musical performances and ballets. I, Rachel, when, when they said you can go to a ballet in a cave, I instantly thought of you. And then yes. <laughs> we could go see the Nutcracker, which is the ballet that we like to go see together in a cave. <laughs> yeah, I might get really claustrophobic, but we can give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah, and while you're in Gibraltar, also be sure to check out the Gibraltar Nature Reserve. Um, there you will find the only monkeys living in the wild anywhere in Europe. So they're actually native to Morocco, but um, there are like 160 monkeys on the island in this nature reserve. And um, I just thought that would be a really cool thing to check out. Absolutely, how cool. So next we'll, um, we'll head across the ocean and back down to the Caribbean. Um, but, you know, the Caribbean is one of those places that I feel like in the US we often take for granted. If you if you're from the US and you've traveled abroad at all, probably one of the first places or maybe only places you've been has been the Caribbean. And, and it's for me. And right. And and we I think we take it for granted sometimes because we forget how I mean 
really beautiful the beaches are and and how great the weather is um and, and it's just such a great travel destination and and it's actually you know it can be affordable too um so the royals really love the caribbean um especially princess diana she um she visited quite a bit two of her favorite places were nevis and necker island so nevis offers I mean, you know, picturesque beaches, hiking, botanical gardens. Um, there's Charlestown is there. It's a quaint little town. I read it has very like small town feel, uh, friendly vibes. Um, and it's also home to the Montpelier Plantation, which is a super luxurious estate. And that is actually where Princess Diana stayed when she visited. And I just realized that I mispronounced that earlier. Nevis, not Nevis, like a true novice would. So don't well, worry about mispronouncing things. I've got that. I've got that covered in spades. <laughs> uh, let's hope I got it right. Um, I, I looked it up, and that's what I was able to find. So we'll see. And also, it should be noted that so many of the sovereign states and Commonwealth countries are in the Caribbean. So yeah. that could be why the royals tend to favor this part of the world. But um, regardless, it's it's beautiful and, and we do take it for granted. It's in our backyard. The Bahamas was the first place I ever left the country for. And um, I, I do love it. Yeah, me too. Bahamas, I think was my first, um, first time I left the country, so. Um, Necker Island is actually a private island owned by Richard Branson. So it is 74 acres, I think. And you can actually stay here if you want to dish out the cash. I read online that you can rent the entire island for $42,000 a night. Oh, that's um, just chump change. <laughs> I can't believe how uh, cheap that is. My gosh. Sarcastic. Well, if that's a little high, you can also rent a private villa for $27,000 a week. Okay. Um, well, you know, that's that's what the commoners probably do. So. So I looked up some photos and I mean, you know, the island is very beautiful. Um, the villas are pretty cool. Um, they offer a, um, like a nature inspired open living sort of concept. So your bedrooms and your living rooms, they'll have a roof, but the walls are open and you get this kind of 360 view of the island. Very pretty. Um, and I also read that Richard Branson has offered his island to celebrities like Kate Winslet and the Obamas um, and a few others who have stayed there include Jimmy Fallon and David Beckham. So I wanted to throw that in there because I do, I know Princess Diana stayed there, but there are much more affordable options in the Caribbean if- um, uh, I hope so. <laughs> and, and it's still very beautiful. So um, the last place in the Caribbean is Mystique. Um, we have so, to mention Mystique. Yes, um, and I, yeah. So if our listeners don't know, Princess Margaret was given land on this island as a wedding gift. And she actually would visit twice a year for decades. Um, and, and her majesty visited in 1977. Um, I saw a photo of her on her visit at an outdoor market and she was looking at mangoes and side note, um, I also read mangoes are one of her favorite foods. Hmm. So um, fun fact there, but the island is just over two miles um, and you can partake in all the traditional activities um, that you would on an island, like lounging on the beach, diving, fishing, snorkeling, going for a hike. Um, but they also have some nicer accommodations there as well. If you like to play golf or tennis or ride horseback, you can do all of those things. And fun fact, um, for his, what, this would be his sixth birthday in 2019, July of 2019, the Cambridges took George to Mystique for his birthday. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they they still go, uh, the Cambridges go to Mystique quite a bit. Okay, so that's definitely um, the place to check out if you're wanting a royally inspired Caribbean vacation. So next we are going to head to the Adriatic Sea. Um, before King Edward married Wallace Simpson, they actually cruised the Adriatic Sea. So my inspiration here was for our listeners to find somewhere along the coast to vacation. Um, there are several spots along the coast of the sea, um, especially in Croatia. So one of the really cool places to go is the Dalmatian coast. 
Um, there are several sites and towns along the coast that tourists can check out. Um, one bigger city in Croatia is Dubrovnik. Um, it is located right on the coast, um, stunning views. And interestingly enough, when I was reading, I, I saw that the perfect time to visit is late March, which is right in the midst of our spring break. Um, according to the site I was on, the summer months often get really hot and crowded with tourists. So March is a great time to go. And um, if you visit a couple of attractions, there are the Old Town Walls. And I'm going to try to say this, Fort Lovrinics, I think is how you say it. Um, so the Old Town Walls are, they're about two kilometers long. They can be walked by tourists and you get really great views of both the city and the sea um, if you wanna take in some really gorgeous views. Um, and then, so Fort Lovrienex, I think, um, is actually a medieval fort. It was built in the 14th century on a rock overlooking the sea. Um, and listeners might be interested to know that this was actually a filming location for some of the Game of Thrones. Oh, you know Rachel? No, I didn't. I've never heard of this place before, but that's that's great <laughs> trivia. Yeah. Um, and you can actually catch Hamlet there each year during the Dubrovnik Summer Festival. So um, just some fun stuff to do there. And, and also while you're in Dubrovnik, um, take a stroll down Stratton. It's the popular pedestrian street in the city. They've got tons of restaurants and shops. You'll find um, an outdoor farmer's market. So, um, you know, definitely if you come across one of those, check it out. Um, in Croatia, they really love organic produce and you won't be disappointed there. So if you want to escape the city of Dubrovnik and, and go somewhere a little bit quieter, um, head down the uh, Dalmatian coast and um, check out some of the beaches, the sunsets. Um, be sure to also check out the Korkula Island vineyards. So these are um, vineyards along the Dalmatian coast. There are a handful of wineries there and tourists can do tasting tours. And apparently they have really outstanding white wine that may even compete with Napa Valley wine, which in the U.S. Wow. You know, is really top-notch wine. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, the Dalmatian coast is also home to some pretty cool caves as well, if that's your thing. So especially um, the Modric Cave, it's said to be a worthwhile adventure for anyone interested in stalactites and stalagmites. They are thousands of years old, but I will warn listeners, be careful. I actually read there are no guardrails, no man-made paths, and no lighting installed in that cave. Wow. Um, so one more place along the Dalmatian coast is Zadar. Um, there you can find the sea organ. Rachel, I want you to look this up later. So it is marble steps that descend into the Adriatic Sea. And it's called the sea organ because the waves from the sea and the wind blowing catch small openings into the stairs. And it oh, creates- Oh, wow. I'm looking at it right now as you talk. Yeah, isn't it gorgeous? Yes. Wow. So, yeah, some really great um, things to check out if you decide to travel to that part of the world. Um, okay, so next on our list, um, and this is the last one we've got, is Saint-Tropez um, in France. So Saint-Tropez is a coastal town along the French Riviera. Um, Rachel, can you guess who's visited this destination? You mean other than me and my dreams? <laughs> so I know that Diana was in Saint-Tropez uh, and sailing along the, the French Riviera with Dodi Al-Fayed mm -hmm. in the weeks leading up to her death. You're right. Yep. She, she visited there um, that summer and um, also the Yorks frequent this location. So especially Fergie, Princess Eugenie, and Princess Beatrice, um, they, they vacation there quite a bit. So as you can guess, you will find luxurious accommodations here. You'll find nice restaurants, gorgeous views, um, and some fun activities too. So of course, if you visit, definitely take time to check out a beach or hike along the coastline. Um, 
but you also might want to take advantage of the food there because you are in France and France has amazing food um, and Saint Tropez is no exception to that. So um, look for some good restaurants there. Um, also, if you want a little break from being outdoors, there is a butterfly museum and a contemporary art museum for some indoor activities. And then visitors should definitely visit Old Port, which is the fishing village. So you'll see lots of pretty boats and yachts. Um, they have lovely outdoor cafes, a fish market, um, and a farmer's market with produce and flowers that comes in the morning. Um, and you can also check out La Ponche, which is the old town. So in this little town, you'll find cobblestone streets and fun places to shop like boutiques and other local businesses. Um, so just some fun stuff to do if you want to get off the beach for a day. Um, and while you're in France, you may as well take a day visit to Cannes, which is about an hour and a half from Saint-Tropez. Um, so Cannes is also an upscale area boasting Mediterranean climate, um, and it's a really popular place to get outside and enjoy dining, shopping, walking, soaking in the sun. Um, and you know, Rachel, when I was looking at this and, and it was talking about the Mediterranean climate and I was looking at photos of Cannes, I couldn't help but imagine um, the Chateau in Montecito. I was getting very similar vibes to that climate. Interesting. Yeah, it just made me think of, um, you know, Prince Harry and it makes sense that he would like that, that climate. That's, that's, um, that we could do a whole episode psychoanalyzing that, but wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that wraps it up for us today. Um, I really hope our listeners enjoyed my amateur travel agent skills. Um, lots of Googling there to help me. I've never been to any of these places. Um, and I definitely found a few that I'm going to add to my list. And I hope I inspired a few of our listeners to check out these spots as well. I would love, love, love to hear which places everyone else wants to go to. So, I mean, send us an email or a DM or, you know, something, you know, chat us up on Instagram and let us know which places you guys want to visit because all of these places are super cool to me. Absolutely. Please Google these places. We'll put some photos on our Instagram as well. Um, so much of the world to see and the Royals do it best. So great job. I now, so I'm, I'm said at the top of the episode that um, I, I feel as though I've been hit by a bus, but that segment took me away to the slopes and then it took me to Mystique. So <laughs> I feel good. I'm feeling it, good. It definitely makes you think about, you know, reflecting on this last year and how we've all been kind of stuck at home and realizing how much of the world there is to see. And um, it's made me feel hungry to get out and explore it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning into episode 18 of Podcast Royal. We will chat with you next week and we hope you have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye.